step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the first ever NYK Exchange podcast presented by NYKInformation.com. Um, this is, like I said, this is the first ever show. My name is Sean Aquino. I'm on with my good buddy, Chris Delgado. Chris, how are you doing? Good, Sean. How are you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on tonight. Everybody who's listening in, this is a, it's a new endeavor. Uh, Leon Jacobson, he's an Australian Knicks fan. He put together this site, nykinformation.com, with the sole purpose of getting fans together to share information, share theories. Uh, share statistics on the New York Knicks and a podcast was a good part, uh, a good piece of that in terms of getting the community together. As you know, I just mentioned Leon from Australia. We're doing this show. Chris is in New York. I'm in LA. So it's kind of a worldwide endeavor. We have Knicks fans all over the world. And uh, this is a pretty, pretty important time in New York Knicks history. Um, We're now going into Phil Jackson's third year, um, Jeff Hornacek's first year. That's something I never thought I would ever hear, that Jeff Hornacek would be the head coach of the New York Knicks, <laughs> much less much less uh, working for Phil Jackson after everything we've heard over the past couple of years and Phil Jackson's small inner circle of uh, triangle disciples. And, you know, and now look what happened. Jeff Hornacek, I mean, the contract hasn't been finalized yet, but Jeff Hornacek will probably be the next head coach of the New York Knicks. So I'm going to start with that, Chris. What were your thoughts when you saw Howard Beck's tweet that Hornacek is going to be the new coach? I will be honest. It was a disappointment. And not that's nothing against um, Jeff Hornacek at the moment. It's more about, I think I probably had a preference for Vogel having, mm-hmm. having you know, his, with his body of work being the most that I've seen in the NBA. You know, David right. Blatt had, David Blatt was here for one year and obviously he had some troubles with the locker room. Um, not that I don't think David Blatt is not a fine coach, but those questions remained. Um, and Frank mm-hmm. Vogel is somebody that I've watched and admired. So from that sense, it was disappointing. Now, the more that I, um, the more that I, you know, learned about Jeff Hornacek's coaching style, um, I could see where it aligned with what Phil wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same with you. Frank Vogel was my first choice. I remember when, I remember logging in for when for the Larry Bird press conference. I was like, are they really going to let Frank Vogel go? And when they did, I actually started comparing him to Tom Thibodeau in the sense of um, he actually has been to more Eastern Conference Finals than Tom Thibodeau. He's, I think, he's actually been able to do more than Tom Thibodeau in the sense of the roster and the talent that's on there to help you know Roy Hibbert have a great you know, career year, Ian Mahimi, Lance Stevenson, all these guys had their best years under Vogel, while Thibodeau had a roster that had several stars on it repeatedly, though, yes, Derek Rose was out for a couple of years. So I thought Vogel was actually, you know, 
probably better suited for Thibodeau, especially with the whole history between Tibbs and MSG. So I thought Vogel was going to be, and then, of course, Vogel's connected to Brian Shaw to me and him being a former scout for the Lakers in 2004. I thought it was all lining up perfectly. So I was expecting to see that. And then after a couple of days where I guess the interview occurred, um, I think, last Friday or so, about a week ago, and then we didn't hear anything about Vogel for four, three or four days, and then we heard that Bill Jackson interviewed Hornacek, I think it was on maybe Sunday, in, in L.A., and I thought to myself, if they were sold on Vogel, why are they now meeting with Hornacek? Uh, so that's kind of when I started getting a little bit concerned about it because I thought I really didn't get it. I thought maybe this was a smokescreen. Maybe the media was right. Maybe Phil Jackson is just interviewing people to make it seem like he did his job, but at the end of the day, he's going to hire Kurt Rambis or keep Kurt Rambis. So um, it was completely shocking to me. And like you said, once you start – I started studying different uh, tapes, you know, b-ball breakdown, different analysis from Phoenix Suns fans online, and I started to read about his system – and it was a pretty modern system. And it's not the type of system that you would consider, you know, post or, or mid-post elbow action focused. But it, it's a system where they did share the ball. There was ball movement. It wasn't like a 1-5 pick and roll consistently time and time again. And and that's what I kind of found exciting about it, that Bill Jackson is kind of, obviously he's opened up his worldview. So my next question for you is, are you expecting a hybrid system, kind of like what Golden State runs? Or are you expecting Hornacek to learn the triangle and for Phil and Rambis to be the teachers? Or what do you expect uh, Jeff Hornacek to do offensively just from what we've learned of him over the past week? Well, uh, a few things. I have to say where I probably learned the most was the Grantland interview that he did um, a few years back. In combination mm-hmm. with you know just reading some, some of the, the other pieces – um, I think it sounded like Jeff uh, played played to his personnel in Phoenix, right. and that we haven't heard the press conference yet. And there's been a lot of speculation that hiring Jeff Hornacek means that this is the end of the triangle. I'm not so sure about that. Um, there's been there was an article written in the New York Times about Jeff Hornacek's connection to the triangle, having uh, knowing it and playing in it. Um, so I think it's more about, and people are so focused on, on triangle, like it isn't used throughout the league in different in different forms. Uh, but I think it's more about basketball philosophies and whether and where they align. And reading that interview with, you know, with um, in Grantland, it really sounded like mm-hmm. what what Jeff was saying aligned with the stuff that we heard Phil Jackson say that he wanted as a coach. Now to take it even a step further, if you went back, that the Knicks. You know, openly talked with it was even Derek Fisher, um, Derek Fisher, Phil Jackson both talked about they needed to get into their offense faster. They needed to get more easy buckets and such. Um, that was a goal right. of theirs, and this is something that Jeff Hornacek did, granted with the personnel that he had, um, very well in Phoenix. But I'm not sold yet. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait to hear because you know I, Pat Riley is the perfect example. Everybody thought he was going to come here and be Showtime, and then he's got right. to the press conference and he said, you know what? No, we're going to play around the personnel that we have. And there's been, you know, if you read some of the stuff out there about Jeff, it sounds like that's the type of coach he is, that he, he plays to his personnel. But I'm sure we'll find out in the next coming days, next few days. Yeah, I'm sure the press conference I've heard, um, I guess Ian Begley's been reporting early next week. But, um, you know, what I kind of 
uh, what I'm hoping for is I was kind of torn. Before Phil Jackson came in, I thought to myself, Carmelo Anthony is a player that has proven to be better at the power forward position in the sense of the Knicks winning 54 games. And, you know, really, it really worked for him at the four. Um, and I thought, okay, that's where we need to move uh, with Carmelo. And then the triangle came in, and I was all about trusting Phil Jackson. And to me, it kind of came down to I truly don't think that Derek Fisher was a tactician. And I think that he was in over his head in the sense of, you know, not only with the whole timeout situation or, you know, what place to call after timeouts, but in terms of setting up game plans or in, te- in terms of teaching uh, the system or, or being able to come up with creative sets out of the system, there was, I think, a tactical part that I, see, that I thought really lacked from Derek Fisher's approach. And, and it, to me, it was kind of like a computer application where it's like Derek Fisher was, was, was teaching the out-of-the-box triangle offense, you know what I mean, as opposed to a triangle offense that was modernized or, you know, kind of suited for today's game, I thought. Um, and so what I'm thinking here is that what Phil Jackson sees in Jeff Hornacek is a skilled tactician, a guy that does have great plays out of timeouts, the guy who's uh, been able to take a, a team that won 25 wins and then make the team win 48 wins the year after and um, really run a high-octane offense geared around those three point guards. So that, to me, is I think where we're going to see the big difference between Fisher and Rambis and Hornacek. To me, it's the tactical part, and I can't help but think that I've heard that Steve Kerr was looking at Jeff Hornacek as a replacement for his mm-hmm. associate head coach for, for Luke Walton. And it really, I mean, thinking how this went back, we all know Phil contacted Walton first, and it seemed like Walton told him, you know what, I'm, you know, if LA is available, I'm going to go there because guess what? A couple of days later, Byron Scott was fired. And then suddenly, quickly, the Lakers scooped up on Walton. And it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere in that time frame, Phil and Kerr had a conversation about that. And you know what? Kerr may have talked to Phil and said, you know what? The number one guy that I'm going to look at is Steve Kerr. The, I mean, is Jeff Hornacek. Because I really find it extremely hard to believe that in day one, when Phil Jackson was set to hire Steve Kerr, that Steve Kerr was going to do exactly what Derek Fisher did in the sense of the out-of-the-box triangle offense. I believe that Steve Kerr was going to come in and and kind of run a hybrid system, a system of basketball, the system of basketball that Phil talks about all the time, not just the pure triangle. And therefore, I think that Phil Jackson uh, was hoping Derek Fisher could do the same thing, but tactically, I believe he felt short. And then I believe now that this is proving that Phil Jackson is actually was always all about the system and not just a pure triangle by picking the best tactical coach he could find in Jeff Hornacek. What do you think about that theory? Uh, it's quite, I mean, it's quite possible. I absolutely, I've thought to myself that Steve Kerr has played a role in this. It hasn't been confirmed yet. It's been rumored, I think. Um, I didn't listen to Han and Humpty the other day, but I heard that maybe uh, Alan Han alluded to something like that on the on the radio, not as a not as a, a report or anything. But it was one of the things right. I thought about. It was one of the things I thought about. And obviously, about they they talk and it was reported that Jeff Hornacek was in the running for that Golden State job. They might have said, hey, Phil, you know what? Take a look. And it's not like it's anybody that Phil doesn't know. You know, people act like Phil hasn't been in the NBA for 50 years. Um, Jeff Hornacek's been in the NBA for, for what, 30? Um, 
so yeah. you know, it, yeah, I believe Bondi of the news reported that um, you know Hornacek was a player that Phil coveted back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's not like these guys are just like strangers. And Phil said, hey, you know, it's people get caught up. I think people get caught up in the daily um, noise, if you will. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I have a tendency to get caught up in it, and I get torn time and time again. You know, uh, for me, being in L.A., it's, you know, Twitter has opened up the world to uh, of the fan base. I, You know, I had absolutely no idea. I always knew we were a passionate fan base, but now I feel like I'm um, really, like I'm walking down the street and I'm in a subway with you guys, and I could just listen in and, and let my you know, thoughts be heard. That's what Twitter has essentially allowed us to, to do, um, which is really, really cool. But at the same time, uh, man, I don't know if I want to read the Post and the Daily News every day. I, you know, it's, hey, it's here's scary. The, here's, the difference. here's the difference. But here's the difference. They talk about how Twitter is the new sports, new sports radio. Well, you know what? Sports right. radio used to get – those calls used to get uh, – you know, um, vetted. <laughs> there is nobody right, vetting right. the tweets. I mean, I guess you are, if you will, but sure. you know, who knows when somebody retweets, if you will. So um, yeah, you're yeah. exposed to a whole lot of stuff, and you can see how you know daily how people are influenced and stuff that they believe. You know, and there's other people that just believe what they want, with, you know, even if you know the reports say otherwise. So you know, it's really not much you could do. But I do take solace in in finding. Um, and finding people on there though who who do enjoy, um, who are rational, you know, um, and there's plenty of that. Right. I would say the majority of that, they're just not always the most vocal. There's there's definitely plenty of that. I mean, I can name five to ten guys, and you know, that I to me, I'm like, man, if I if I'm running a team, it's pretty funny that I'll be like, I'll pick these five guys. I'll call them in and say, do you guys want to be a part of my staff or something? Uh, but, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of extremely knowledgeable Knicks fans out there that understand the importance of, you know, a modern NBA or, you know, not, and not just using the analytics, but they, they, they understand the game, they watch tape, they, and they're open, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and that's what I think is most important. It's you have, uh, there's no doubt in my mind if we look, you know, at the job that Phil Jackson is doing and, and just say, okay, this has been a measured approach. It's been an approach that has been focused on the long term, and it's been an approach that has been, you know, it's allowing us to keep our assets, which is a complete change from what the past 15 years has been like, and that that is a refreshing thing, and it's a positive thing. And then so you have this thought process, which is consistently clashing with the other thought process of, but he hasn't done anything yet. It's been two years, and, he hasn't done anything yet. It doesn't matter, right? None of this stuff matters. Like the fact that we now have all of our first round picks and we have a top five talent for the next 15 years without giving anything up, really, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Where before we, you know, we have to mortgage our entire roster for Carmelo Anthony. Now we have a kid who's 20 years old who we basically own forever if we want and if we build a good team around him. And, you know, and, and so how do you, well, you know, how do you see that clash daily? Um, you know, uh, what is your thought process on that when you see first that? First of all, first of all, that in itself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, drafting a Kristaps Porzingis is is more success than most GMs have in their career. If you know, assuming that he continues along his trajectory, you know, I'll, I'll put right. that in, I'll put I'll put that in there. 
Um, so, you know, and, you know, there was a talk on, there's a conversation with some Nick fans on, on Twitter today. Phil could walk away, and I've been saying this, Phil could walk away tomorrow, and he's left the franchise in the best, you know, best position it's been since, what, the mid-90s? As far as, right. uh, you know, if, I can't remember, and this, people used to always give me, give me stuff like, oh, why do you believe in Phil? Why do you believe in Phil? Like, they, or the, um, you know, during this time. Um, it's it's hard to argue with fiscal responsibility, something the Knicks have, have never had. Um, you know, keeping <laughs> right. keeping their draft picks, um, acquiring young talent, and I think a big part of it has been this perception that they're not. Because one day Stan Van Gundy, who happens to be the brother of Jeff Van Gundy, if you didn't know, right. uh, who happens to be guess what? One of Phil's biggest arch rivals throughout his career, not to say that they're not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's well documented. It's well documented. So when he says, right. Oh, I don't know what they're talking about when they're rebuilding, when they have, you know, all these guys that are, are close to 30, well, they had four right. starters and the rest of the team was 24 years old or, or younger, you know, sure. their number two guy, sometimes number one on uh, number one on some nights was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, right, right. And, and when you put that yeah. with a coach, a coach trying to find his way through, like you were, like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's going to be nights where, where it doesn't fire on any cylinders, and you have nine game losing streaks, and then you add Lance Thomas injuries and, and such, and they get worse defensively. Um, so, I don't know if people think about that when they, when they, when they look at the big picture. Well, as I was just saying, I don't think people look at the big picture when they're focused on stuff like that or not realizing stuff. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, if, if if all things go well, you could see uh, Jerry and Grant was a t- highly touted player, and you could see he was being forced to do something that he wasn't used to doing in his four years at Notre Dame. You know, I mean, what last season with the triangle, but, but you could see when he's running pick and roll, that's where Grant is most comfortable. Um, and he's a bit, he's a six five guard that could take contact, finish in traffic. Obviously, needs to work on his outside jump shot. He's shown uh, defensively that, of course, he's got a ways to go, but the potential is definitely there. Um, and it's kind of odd that you could th- you could look back in five years and say that the Knicks drafted their starting point guard and an all-star in Porzingis in one draft. Yeah. And and Hernan Gomez, who, if he was to come out this year, would have been a first-round pick. You know, we drafted him last year. So you're talking about players, three rotation players, not much. And plus, Langston Galloway, I know people are really hard on him because the fan base sometimes says, well, if you're not a starter, you're not good enough. But I'm sorry, but if you're a seventh or eighth guy on a, on a team or, or a third or fourth guard, and I think that's what Galloway is, um, for basically nothing, being undrafted and developing through your summer league, um, that is a positive. Getting Lance Thomas for J.R. Smith and, and Iman Shumpert in that cap space uh, and then Lance Thomas coming into his own. Lance Thomas is going to get seven, eight million dollars on the market this summer, and and we can retain him. <laughs> as Phil, such, Phil, Phil know, or Derek, Derek Fisher for whoever you want to say got Lance paid. Right. I mean, and Lance himself because yeah. I heard he'd really dedicated himself in the offseason. Oh, true. Yeah, and he'd worked on his jump shot, but I mean, he's a guy that could play the three and the four, guard three different positions, and I hope the Knicks keep him. Uh, so, it, my point is that. Too much is said on, like I said, you're looking at that, and, and people would rather say, well, we didn't get LaMarcus Aldridge, 
So basically, the first summer that Phil had, we had no cap space because Amari and Bargnani were still there. And then the second summer, we were a 17-win team. And why, why, what is it about some fans that say, even though we're a 17-win team, we're the Knicks and we're Phil Jackson, and therefore, if he didn't get LaMarcus Aldridge or DeAndre Jordan, he is a failure. Where does, how, does that, how, do you, how do people make that, that connection? But, Here's here's what I said. A lot of people like go on that reference the record, uh, or they and they you know they combine the record and, and let's take it one let's take it one year at, at a time. And I think we just kind of alluded to what happened last season. And let me just say that nobody wanted that. But year one, that was a little bit different. And I always say like, oh, they're like sixty five lost season, worse than Nick history. Phil Jackson sucks. I'm like, okay, right. you want to give back Chris Trash Porzingis? They really yeah. should have had Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know who to blame for that. I kind of ultimately blame <laughs> Phil. Ja- I kind of kind of ultimately blame Phil Jackson for not putting down the hammer. Um, but winning two mm-hmm. out of those three games was incredibly ah. foolish. I don't know what right. Derek Fisher was trying to prove, um, or you want to blame yeah. Tim Hardaway for being the hero that one night. Whatever the case may be. But regardless, right. with regardless, which do you want to give those losses back? And uh, you know, give back Kristaps right. Porzingis. And you can have an eight seed first round elimination. How about that? Which one? Right. Which one would you prefer? Which one do you? So you proceed to complain about it, but which one would you rather have today? Looking back. Exactly. And, you know, exactly. No, and, and, no, yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, when you're building a team for the future, I remember in the introductory press conference, Bill said, "My, you know, my the cachet that brought me here is changing the culture, right?" So it's changing the culture, and um, they asked him about, you know, what's the time frame for winning a championship? And he said, whoa, you know what, that's a long ways away. If I'm even able to do that, it would be a great way to cap off my career. But it's, this is a process, step by step. So he said, those are his words. How does it get yeah. to become, like Stephen A. Smith and others, I thought Phil Jackson was going to come in with his 11 rings, put him on the table, and get LeBron James and Kevin Durant. And these guys were supposed to come here because they're Phil Jackson. Did Phil Jackson ever say that? I mean, no, and, and w- why what, are these fans all, putting, that in, putting that out there? But, but that's, what we, that's what we all assumed. That's what I assumed. Everybody thought that, you know, that people would be, you know, uh, that sure. star elite players would be attracted to the – Attracted to the rings like flies to a, a light, and that's right. not that's not the case. And you know, so much has changed about the NBA. I don't think, and the world for that matter, that I don't think that people realize that this is not the same. This is not an, an attractive destination as it might have been once upon a time for reasons that ha- have nothing to starting with reasons that have nothing to do with basketball, and that's the tax code. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's. Oh, you know, for the end of the sure. day, it's if it's about money. You know, play, teams in Florida and Texas have distinct advantages, um, right. not, not having a state tax. So starting right there, and then you get into other things where you can be a major athlete in a city like Oklahoma City, and you can even survive with another major athlete there. Just to show you that you know the NBA world has become flat. So. Players don't need New York like they used to. It used to be like cats want to be like, yeah, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to get my shine. People are going to see what I can do now. I'm tired of being on this bad team. Like, no. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, with the Knicks haven't been, have not had a culture. They haven't been good. You know, there's an intense scrutiny. There's sometimes that there's a lot of, you know, unfairness 
um, I, I would say that the New York sports culture is you owe me. Um, right. And, you know, that's, and that's across the board, regardless of sport. So, um, yeah. And so when Phil came in, he said that we're going to have to start a talent. I remember this clearly. He said, we're going to have to start a talent search and we don't have a lot of assets. So we're going to have mm-hmm. to do things, find things, whether it's players at the end of benches, Shane Larkin, whether it's guys that haven't been drafted, Langston Galloway. Um, All right. You know, some of these guys might be here in the part of the future, but even the guys that Phil had, you can't say, and with everybody he that's been on the team that he inherited, you can't say that Phil didn't evaluate these guys before letting them go. And not to say right. that he hasn't made mistakes. Um, you know, there's been Sam, Sam oh, Dallin there. Oh, sure. You know, right. for instance. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. And, and, and But the big things have been the, – the, 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 the major thing to me has been the Derek Fisher thing. I guess if there's a one negative, the one real bad move was uh, the Derek Fisher, uh, I guess, signing. I mean, I, I but I think he gave him – for whatever reason, there was a communication breakdown. You know, there was – Either Fisher did ignore Phil and Phil allowed that to happen because he wanted to give him autonomy and then he let him make his own bed, which is, you know, uh, there are leadership philosophies that are about that where, you know, you basically you're going to say something a couple times to your employee and you're going to let your employee take your advice and do what they're going to do or ignore your advice and do what they're going to do and suffer the consequences, right? And um, if, if Phil Jackson's sending, you know, post-game notes to Derek Fisher every night and they go largely ignored um, and there's no communication and the team goes one and nine suddenly and around a scandal where you might be, you know, tweeting people on Instagram or whatever the hell you might be doing um, and those two things coincide together, uh, you know what? You have no one to blame but yourself for the fact that you've lost your job. Uh, so that's what, I mean, from for my perspective, I had no problem with him letting go of Fisher in that sense because I never really saw the tactical growth. I thought that, yeah, he incorporated a little bit more of the pick and roll in the first 40-something games of the season. But I don't know if that's really the reason why they won. I think the reason they started they started out as a 500 team was, yeah, they ran a little bit more pick and roll, but truly it's because Porzingis was a hell of a lot better than anybody thought. And because Robin Lopez is a really good basketball player. And and people, you know, downgrade and demean de- Robin Lopez, but this guy's been a winner pretty much everywhere he goes. Um, so I thought that that was really more of where the Knicks got better. And I thought Derek Fisher, for whatever reason, just couldn't tactically get things right. But that's just my 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 viewpoint. There was, you know, Phil was said that he mentioned they asked Phil when he was the first time he considered letting Derek go, and he mentioned that Nets game that came um, right oh, yeah. after, right after the winning streak. And I remember going into that game, like I was so surprised actually we lost that game. That was one of the games this year I, I missed, um, but I was fully confident that we, I mean, the way we were rolling, that we should win, yeah. should have won that game or would win that game, um, right. regardless of who playing, especially with how bad that the Nets were. Um, yeah. But I do give Derek, Derek Fisher credit for, for honestly, I mean, I think at games like San Antonio, I think you know, I think the Knicks were a lot better than anybody expected at the beginning of the season, and uh, you know, Derek Fisher does get credit for that. But um, you know, I would, I guess, at the end of the day, none of us are in the building, none of us in the locker room. Sure. You know, even the people, even the people whose job it is to report, I have to rely on other people for other information as we as we, you know, as we see. So, you know, right. ultimately we'll never know because for all we know, Phil, Derek might've gotten let go for his personal stuff off the thing. And, you know, Phil didn't want to like 
you know, say it was that so Derek doesn't become, you know, even though he did become it, but, you know, Derek doesn't become this guy who got fired from his job for, you know, for being shady. Um, right. So, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But what you have to give credit to is that Phil pulls the plug. He pulled the plug at right. Dallenbear earlier. He pulled the plug on Dallenbear earlier. He pulled the plug on Shumpert. He pulled the plug on JR. He pulled the plug in that season, tanked, and got Chris Stapps. He pulled the plug in mm-hmm. Derek Fisher, will, gets to remain of what Hornacek becomes. Um, people right. lost their minds because of Kurt Rambis. You know what? It, it, it was a half a season that um, – you know, at the end of the day, if the Knicks are successful from this point going forward, do you really care that Kurt Rambis, you know, coached the last half of the season when the Knicks were pretty much, you know, really not as good as the other teams that were contending for that last season? Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, good point. I want to remind everybody, you guys are listening to the NYK Exchange podcast with Chris Delgado and Sean Aquino, presented by NYKinformation.com. Um, you mentioned a little bit ago, we were talking about Phil's introductory press conference and how he talked about culture change. I think one of the things that he, that's a major part of the culture change is a certain style of play. I forget a writer who alluded to it, that it seems like Hornacek's teams had a certain style of play. They had an identity on the basketball court. And if that is what the Knicks are able to gain moving forward, an identity on the basketball floor – a certain style of play where the Knicks share the basketball. That to me seems like that would be a major component of Phil's culture change. And if you look at the two star players, Kristaps Porzingis, he can, he has an opportunity at the five, at the stretch five of revolutionizing that position in a way no one else ever has. And Carmelo Anthony, we've already been able to see the damage that he's been able to do at the power forward spot, stretching the floor. Um, and and if we want to start with Robin Lopez and KP at the four and Melo at the three, you know, there are some sets where you could you put Carmelo in isolation in the post out of Hornet Sex offense. So what, you know, do you really, do you see the ability that Porzingis and Carmelo have at the four and the five to become, for the Knicks to have that identity offensively on the floor and be a part of that culture change and that the Knicks actually have some tools that can be, utilize in the modern NBA a lot more than we could have ever thought of in the triangle. Am I being a little too um, positive on what Hornacek can bring tactically with this? But that's what I'm hoping for. It remains to be seen what the what the philosophy would be. Obviously, it makes sense to develop it around your two top players like Kristaps and, and, and Melo. But, you know, we... I don't know. I think it's still going to be a few more years before you can expect Kristaps to be the everyday center. Um, you know, we saw how he fa- he kind of had some trouble the second half of last year. Uh, he's still, you know, he's put on weight, but he's still very frail. He needs to get much stronger in lower body. But, you know, in, that doesn't right. mean when he's 20, that doesn't mean, though, that when he's 24, he can't dominate this league as 24, 25. He can't dominate this league as a center, just like you were talking about. Um, yeah. In the interim, I do think you need a Robin Lopez or, you know, there's even talk of, you know, Dwight Howard coming to New York. I'm not co-signing. I'm just saying that, you know, a, a real, I would say somebody down there to do the, to, to keep bodies off of Porzingis because you do need them on yeah. offense. Right, totally. Yeah, I mean, I don't and you know need to be Lopez. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Lopez fan. I think that he did wonders next to Marcus Aldridge in Portland. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's a team-first guy, one of the best defenders um, in the league, and I, and I think it's a great pairing. They, they showed the ability to play together, um, and I think it's fine. And it, it, it gives them the versatility where if KP could play maybe 10, 15 minutes even at the five, he switched Carmelo before, it doesn't have to become a full-time thing, but it could get – Porzingis acclimated to being a little bit more versatile out there. And at the end of the day, the Knicks were at least still one of the best uh, shot-blocking teams with that pairing. And the reason I mention that is that, you know, the, the beginning of the culture change thing is that if the Knicks do form an identity, say, in this next year, and they are 500 team or hovering around there, and they start to develop a certain style of play, and Jerry and Grant is looking like a, a player, and that is what I think is what – that's what I think Phil's alluding to in terms of building something for the future and creating an environment where free agents are going to want to come to New York because they're going to see how much better Robin Lopez is playing. They're going to see Porzingis and Carmelo being used to the best of their abilities, and they'll be able to see Jerry Grant's development in a system like this. And and then that's when 2017 comes and you're looking at you know, Westbrook, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Dennis Schroeder, Jeff Teague, J. Rue Holiday, George Hill. I mean – they have like eight point guards that are going to be available in 2017, and the Knicks might if they if they keep a good handle on their cap space and don't necessarily overspend this summer. They might have the ability to spend another 20 to 30 million next year with the cap going up. That to me is the should be the focus is maintaining that flexibility, showing what the new system could do so that people want to come back to New York. Do you think that that's what Phil's trying to do as well? Well, yeah, I mean, and I guess, you know, you never know what every free agent, something, you know, every every free agent has a different motive. And David West is the perfect example. And I was reading something the other day about Kevin Martin, who the Knicks were interested. He wanted he, he wanted to be on a championship contender. Um, the, so you just don't know what they're doing. But you have to change the culture from the inside out in New York. What I mean by that is, as we talked about earlier, the fans and the media aren't going to really help you to attract free agents here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to do it with your camaraderie in the locker room, with your winning play on the court, um, and with you know excitement about the the holy grail of you know winning in New York, if that – you know, could ever you have to make that a possibility. It has to be a lure to New York, and the Knicks aren't there yet, and they're far actually, you know, far from it. Um, but you talk about yeah. point guards. You talk about point guards. You know, this is a lot. A lot is gonna. I think a lot is gonna depend on how healthy Tony Roten is, because you know you can see Jerry and Grant and Tony Roten playing an attacking style um, like Hornacek did in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see them playing an attacking style regardless, even if they didn't adapt the, the offense and what they were doing last year. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, those guys hurt you for, from the perimeter and how the Knicks or the front office is going to supplement them, I don't know. I do believe I, this is going to be really unpopular and people will probably turn the podcast off after I say this, but <laughs> I do believe that Jose Calderon is going to be back next year, just not as a starter for the entire year, um, mm-hmm. if at all. Um, but I think they value his leadership. I think the players value having him around. I do think they need, um, you know, I do think they need, you know, they're just saying you're going to have enough shooters. Um, they might just let his contract expire um, as opposed to stretching at this point. So, right. Um, right. you know, 
the point guard thing was something that they needed at the second half of last season. It might not be the, the, the hole that they have going forward. The hole that they have going forward really depends on whether or not Aaron Aflalo um, decides to opt in. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm imagining he's not. And if he doesn't, Derek Williams is only going to be set to make $4 million. So that's an extra $12 million on top of the 19 that they already have. So the Knicks will be at about $30 million. And then if you do stretch Jose, that will get you at 34 So if you don't, you know, you're at $30 million and you have three point guards in the sense of Grant, hopefully Roten gets healthy and Calder on there. And that kind of shifts the focus to the Knicks. And that's why they're, they've been talking about getting some big guards. I know Evan Turner has been mentioned, Kent, Kent Bazemore, Evian Fournier, um, Alan Crabb. Uh, for me, it's about finding players that um, – are young and, and are going to be able to grow with Porzingis and can shoot the basketball, uh, but also have the ability to learn and, and be youthful enough to be able to change their style of play so that they could they could progress. You know, they still have upside ahead of themselves. Out of those four names, anybody there really uh, you're, you you think would be a good fit with this roster? Yeah, and I know it's another name we're going to get killed for, but if you look at the names that are out there, you talk about upside, it's just not there. I mean, outside of the top elite guys that are not, are not, you know, that we presume are not going to come here. Um, You know, there's word that Batum, you know, everybody says Batum is the perfect fit. Uh, You know, Batum hasn't had the healthiest of the careers. His agents are already trying to leverage the Mac, the Knicks for a max contract. Uh, You know, it was put out there actually last week that his agent said that, um, you know, it's believed that the Knicks would offer him a max contract, but he would prefer to stay in Charlotte. Uh, you know, the age-old, right. age you know, yep. agent one-on-one. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, of course. So, so you know, I think you got to, like, um, I look at that, I looked at that list, and you know who has the highest upside? To me is Lance Stevenson. Now, um, <laughs> hear me out before you turn the podcast off. Yeah. And, you know, Lance was playing at a high level, um, you know, not too long ago in his career, obviously the Charlotte thing's there. I do have concerns about bringing him home to New York. Um, but, you know, the guy who's running the organization, though he's not coaching, does have a track record for taking in malcontents um, and and doing the better. You know, to, to Lance's credit, he played better in Memphis last year. Um, but, you know, Lance's all-around game um, and ability to defend make him intriguing, but he can't be your – your, um, you know, um, make it or your bust. Big signing. He has you know, to, you're, yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah. has to. It's it's a, it's a tang, it's somebody. It's a tangible sign you take a risk at that could. Have, it's a risk reward type signing that you don't spend a lot of money on. Kind of like what we did last year. Um, sure. And then you try to you try to you try to acquire another player that is or maybe in this case you know an interesting thing was brought up today. You said. Aaron Aflalo um, would probably opt out, and I believe he would. And this is what I'm curious about, though, because I wonder if it was clear he had problems with Kurt Rambis. Um, I wonder how he feels now with the new coach, but he might just be, you know, done overall. Who knows? Personally, I'm hoping he leaves. But if he does stay, you know, wouldn't Aaron Aflalo and Stevenson combo? Because I think that would be, like, perfect. I would say maybe a little bit of a less selfish Aaron Aflalo 3-and-D type guy is what I would like to go along with. Um, Lance Stevenson. Um, yeah. You know, you know the thing with me, it's, it's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, no, I'll just say, but at the end of the day, though, you look at the makeup of this team, they're going to need shooters. I mean, they need shooters yep. on the court as well. So, um, right. This is why this is why I defer to the to the people who get p- paid to do it. I know, I know. It's fun to do this, and I totally trust Bill Jackson. I still do. I know the majority of the moves, on terms of the roster, have been have been really good. And who would have thought we would have been able to trade Jerry and Grant for Tim Hardaway? That's just another example. Uh, but overall, no, no. But Tim that, Hardaway's killing it in Atlanta. You didn't read that? He killed it for like a yeah, whole two days. Like, yeah. Yeah, I remember Berman tweeted, and then I looked at the – he had like 11 points or something, and I was like, 11 points? Or, and he played 40 minutes or something. I was like, okay, man, relax. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, what what you have is – for the Knicks, I think what's important is you need that sharpshooter. Alan Crabb is that sharpshooting type guy. Fournier is a 6'7 uh, international player who's probably going to command somewhere in the 15 to $19 million range, but he's only like 24, I think. 23, which, you know, that's intriguing to me. Evan Turner, just not a good enough outside shooter to me, and uh, I think I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do what we need him to do. So uh, Kent Bazemore is a good defender. I like his game. Um, He's one of the – he's a lefty. Another guy like Tyler Johnson for Miami, another lefty. He got hurt late in the year for Miami, but he's a tough defender, and uh, he's, he's one of those players that reminds me of one of the old school Knicks. Uh, a player that would have fit well in the Miami Knicks uh, rivalry. So you, there are some guys that you know, you know the Knicks are going to look at. That, you know who would fit. You know who would fit well. He's a restricted free agent, but obviously you know health is the issue. But if health uh, if health wasn't, Bradley Beal would be the oh, perfect yeah. addition um, in, in that backcourt. Yeah. Um, he would be know. perfect. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I don't know if you can. We're not going to take a chance with him. Yeah, it's, it's I know. I mean, it's pretty sad for Washington. I mean, if you think about it, they, uh, you know, he what is, what is it? His ankle every year that he hurts? I don't know, but he can't I thought stay on I, the court I, consistently. Somebody said degenerative ankles. I don't know if and if that was, I was a fan, just making fun of them, or if it's an actual condition. Um, yeah, I'm not from I'm not familiar, yeah. but you know, if you look at his games missed, you can't go down and put the money that he's going to be expecting or the money that's going to take to get him out of Washington. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the Knicks have a roster where you have guys like like Porzingis and Carmelo they are going to be able to shoot the three. I think I read that Hornacek in his first year with the Suns went from being number 25 in three-point attempts to number five. They went from 13.5 points in fast breaks to 19, which was best in the league, and offensive efficiency went from 29 to 8. And what people forget is the year that the Knicks won 54 games. I mean, they I think they had a top three offense and I think they were maybe ranked somewhere in the 15 to 18 range defensively. But they had a top five offense with Carmelo at the four and Tyson Chandler running that pick and roll. I'm not saying we should go back to that completely, but I think we have a front court that is versatile enough that could that can you know really do some damage in that way. Um, and I think I think we're going to see huge growth from Jerry and Grant. I I'm not being overly optimistic. I really would not be I would not be so worried. I would be fine going into the season with Grant Roten and uh, Calderon. I just think we need two new shooting guards or or a wing, uh, two, three hybrids. Solomon Hill is a guy from the Pacers who hasn't been consistent at all, but he's a good defender, and he, and he played well in the playoffs for Indiana. He's another one of those wing players that I think the Knicks should look at. But, yeah, I think it's, a lot of it's going to come down to this, uh, this week, and we'll see what happens in the press conference. Um, what is Jeff Hornacek, how is he going to describe his offense? I mean, that's, I think, the, main, the major question for me 
moving forward. Yeah, and that and that ties to then you know what type of um, free agents they are looking for. I think that's what kind of like everybody's been focusing on, like oh the triangles. What's going to happen with the triangles? Going to happen with this? And it's more like well what happened? More I'm more concerned with what happens to their um, free agent uh, philosophy. Yeah. Or what say you know how does it affect what they were going what you know what they were thinking about doing? Um, because yeah. let's face it, it doesn't really at the end of the day, you know. And I said I was saying this during the whole coaching search. It, you know, people were flipping out because it was taking so long. This, let's say the coaching, coaching is not an integral part. It clearly is. But at the end of the day, it's what happens that first week in July that is going to determine, largely determine their success next year. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the, the front office's ability to upgrade the roster and, and fill the holes and find the right balance between, you know, the, these guys. Um, right. But, you know, to tie, tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, you asked me, like, what, um, you know, what I would, uh, what I first felt when Jeff Hornacek, when I heard the news, I'm not worried about the Knicks offensively next year. Um, and I think this mm-hmm. ties into when I heard that. I was a little disappointed because also I'm kind of concerned defensively. Um, yeah. You know, you know, Hornacek doesn't have that reputation as a defensive coach. Um, I would assume that he knew that because he brought in one of Tom Thibodeau's disciples to be his uh, assistant mm-hmm. coach in Phoenix. Um, right. That assistant coach is no longer available because he just got hired by the Cleveland Cavaliers earlier this year. Right. Um, so I'm curious to see who they'll be bringing in to run the defense or how that's going to work yeah. as well. But that's also my concern of the team. But I've no with the type of players that they have, Christoph Porzingis. Um, um, Carmelo Anthony, I have no concerns that they're going to be good offensively. You know, at the end of the day, how good defensively are they going to be? Yeah, that that is the key. That was probably the my major concern as well. I mean, Frank Vogel, you know, with Frank Vogel, the Knicks would have been a top ten defensive team last year and or next year if he would have been our head coach. I don't see any other way around and, that. that. I mean, he, you know, he who's to say? I mean, he, he's done. You know what he he has the he has the the track record, um, but I would assume I you know I would assume that his struggles on offense hurt him, um, and that's something that you know when you hear you know you hear what Phil preaches, and you read that Grantland interview from Jeff Hornacek a, a couple of years ago, it, it's simp it's simpatico <laughs> to use a right. buzzword right. from, from this uh, from these last few. Few months, you know, when Frank, what's the knock on Frank Vogel? He struggles with spacing. Well, guess what? That's a big problem for for Phil Jackson. There, I would assume, sure. based off the way that Phil talks. So, yeah, that, I'm not to say that. What I'm sure Phil doesn't have great respect for Vogel, but he, you know, at the end of the day, he's like, as we spoke about, there's, and we'll see what that system that is. But he probably believed in Jeff Hornacek's ability to run a system of basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I remember him, Phil Jackson, he was quoted in a piece being a big believer, in, or not a big believer, but a fan of the way the Atlanta Hawks and San Antonio Spurs played. And there's definitely a system of offense, but most of it is predicated off of the pick and roll. But it's definitely a system of offense. And, and that gets me back to the Steve Kerr hire. I really believe that Phil Jackson was going to let Steve Kerr run what he wanted to run, and just Jeff Hornacek hire is just another reflection of that. One of the things that Steve Kerr also did, which I think was brilliant, and was hiring Ron Adams, who I'm sure you'd recognize his name, a longtime defensive guru. 
so I think as long as Hornacek is able to build a staff around him, and I think Hornacek is a smart enough basketball guy to know what his weaknesses are. And if he was able to hire a Thibodeau disciple in Longombardi, I think that's his name, I'm sure he's going to try to find another guy to, to, to flank him on that bench that can teach defense. And, and I think that that is a difference. I think that was very underrated with what Steve Kerr did in Golden State. He built like an all-star, uh, you know, coaching staff around him, young and old. And, and, and I think that's why they were able to do so. Of course, the roster is tremendous. But, but defensively, well, he was Alvin, top I mean, five Alvin teams. Gentry. I mean, he had yeah, Alvin, Alvin Gentry. Gentry right? is basically his, like, 1A. Um, right. You know, and Alvin's now in, in New Orleans. Luke is in L.A., which who just hired Brian Shaw to be his assistant today, which is kind of funny because everybody, you know, if I had to ask you, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, a month ago, you know, all right, these, you know, two of these guys are going to be the Knicks head coach and assistant coach, and the other two are going to be the L.A., which, where would your money have been? Unbelievable. I know. I would I would say, yeah, we're going to get Luke Walton and Brian Shaw. I mean, that I thought was going to be what was going to happen, actually. I thought the Lakers were going to lose out. Um, but you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There's a part of me that feels like um, I don't want to – it's not – I really, you know, I'm not a fan of the narratives that some of the, some of the media makes to sell papers, but – Man, it looks like Phil's going back to L.A. soon, doesn't it? I mean, if you were to – just based off that question, you know, like Luke Walton and Brian Shaw, they are going to be in L.A. And there's going to be a position open next year when Phil's opt out with the Knicks is available. And, and at the end of the day, he could look back, and if the Knicks have a, a, a successful season, he could look back and say, hey, I left the Knicks better off than when I, when I started, but I'm going to go back to L.A. and be with my fiancé and, and, my, and my son, Luke. I mean, uh, right? I mean, I how, can, how can you ignore it? I mean, that, you know. What well, I'm I mean, you're always, I mean, I don't, I don't concern myself with that. That's, that's, it's, yeah. you know, it's ifs and it's ifs and buts. I go, you know, I, Jeannie sure. Buss was on the radio recently. I think it was the day after Byron Scott got fired. She was on with Jay Moore, uh, mm-hmm. radio out in LA actually, and they mm-hmm. asked her the Phil Jackson question, and she flat out said, she said, look, like that, you know that's past like they had that opportunity to bring Phil back. It was, you know, had its chance and it's over. Phil's in New York. He's happy, you know, he's, he's happy there. He's not coming back here. Um, right. So, uh, you know, I take it from the horse's mouth. Yeah. So, you know, I trust right, her. Right. <laughs> um, anybody yeah. knows Phil, it would be her. So if anybody would think, you know, understand what Phil was thinking, it would be her, but you know, that, if and buts when the time comes, if it doesn't even at some point, you know, from the day Phil was brought in here, it was set up for Mills to succeed him, to succeed him. So, sure. Sure. Uh, so, um, it's not, right. it's going to happen eventually folks. Just be, you know, yeah. I, I'll tell you, what's going to happen though, Sean, is that was going to be, that's going to be the times when all this groundwork that's been laid is going to, right. they're going to start so, all the benefits. Listen, the flowers are going to bloom and yeah, he probably won't get. He might not get the credit he deserves for it. He might not, yeah. as I said, he might not ever get the credit for it. You know, he doesn't get credit for Chris Stops as he should. People acting like right. that wasn't a ballsy pick. You know, like right. <laughs> like he, like the kid wasn't booed on, on draft night. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I and I come to imagine that if when if and when the Knicks do have success, there's going to be a lot of people out there saying, well, it shouldn't have taken this long. 
Sure. Or you know, you, or you know, yeah. or what about the two years prior? Were they? What about the sixty-five losses? <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if the Knicks would have drafted Winslow or Moody at four, and then Orlando ended up with KP at five? Could you imagine what Phil the backlash Phil would have received for that? Better yet, and I still think he's going to be a hell of an NBA player. Can you imagine if it was D'Angelo Russell? Um, yeah. And I only say that because of D'Angelo's. I mean, who's to say D'Angelo would have filmed one of his teammates here? But um, sure. Oh right, right. Because he was playing, he was playing really well actually in the second yeah. half last season. But you know, we talked about Jerry and Grant earlier, and I wanted to bring this point up. Tell me the player that didn't struggle. Tell me the rookie point guard, or show me the rookie point guard that didn't struggle last year. You know, there were yeah. times that that those players that were considered to be above, um, you know, Jerry and Grant as prospects. You know, there were times that they played really well, but they overall everybody um, has an adjust had an adjustment to make and. As they, it's well noted that it's point guard is the hardest position to learn, you know, and it's also the hardest position to defend in today's NBA. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no mercy. Almost every team now has, you know, a competent point guard or, or better. So, um, and sure. one other note about Jerry and Grant, if you look at it, you know, he was a five-year player at Notre Dame, and I, you know, I believe he redshirted a year. So yeah. you have to wonder if maybe Jerry and just is a little bit of a slow learner or it takes time for the just mm-hmm. everybody apply it to yourself when thinking about it. I, there's nothing about what I've seen for Jerry Grant other than his jump shot, which could be um, improved that tells me that better. he's not going to have a threat. It does. I'm saying it's not like, you know, yeah. I think he has a better jump. I think he has a better jumper than Emmanuel Moutier. I mean, yeah. you know, so I, I think Jeremy's going to have a long career in this league and where, where he was picked at 19, you know, he's, you can't really ask for anything, you know, it's a success, you know, even if he's going to be at worst, be a backup, probably a lot more. Right. I agree. Um, let's wrap up with, we haven't talked much about Carmelo yet. Uh, let's wrap up talking about Carmelo. Uh, obviously I heard he was back in the gym this week, back in New York. I guess he was in Cannes earlier. Looking France. I know, man. So he's back in New York. He's working out and uh Hornacek already went to the training facility um, Carmelo must be happy in the sense that, you know what, he wanted the coaching search, the coaching search happened, and um, it's an offense that could be well-suited to his game. At the end of the day, I have no doubt in my mind that Carmelo Anthony wants to retire or a Nick or at least finish off his contract this way. Do you think... I believe... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was saying, no, that being ahead. said, say the Knicks flop, trade deadline comes up, and the Knicks are, again out of the playoff hunt, say 10 games out of the last spot, do you, do you think that eventually Carmelo will say, you know what, shit, I can't take this anymore, just send me somewhere else? Or do you think he's going to fulfill his contract to the end? I think you'd have to, I think you'd have to have a pretty much have to have a carving. I mean, I hate, like, trying to get into a player's head and assume what they're thinking, but I would imagine it would take something like a carbon copy of the way last year went, you know, or, or worse for that, for him to be like, you know what, I just can't do it. But because from everything that comes out of his mouth, he's, you know, there sounds like there's nothing more that he wants than to win and to win here. So mm-hmm. um, that, and I don't know if he gets caught up in, the noise, like I said, the way the team, the way the fan base perceives the team is not necessarily the way the players perceive the team. You know, they don't look at guys and be like, oh, Jose, you suck. Like, you know, get off my team. 
like they don't right. look at it that way. Um, no. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, Mellow, there was a thing today that said Mellow could play it. That's something I've always, I've been a, just full disclosure. I've been a Carmelo Anthony fan um, pretty much his whole career. Watched him play at Cuse. Um, watched him, you know, obviously win the, the national championship. Followed him through throughout. And one thing I've said from the beginning. When that before that draft even happened is you know Carmelo might have the longest career out of all those top prospects because his game is not predicated on athleticism. It was mm-hmm. all about it was all about you know skill and foot. It mostly is about skill and footwork. You know Melo wasn't above the basket type of guy, um, and he had, he's an excellent post game. And for that reason, he might be the best post guy, one of the best post. I mean, he is one of the best post players, but it's arguably the best post player in the NBA. So mm-hmm. you know. I can you know, when Melo says he wants to play twenty years, I can see it because like he's like a Paul Pierce in that sense. Um, totally, that he is that his game set. So you know, it's all about you know being, um, you know, his, his shot falling and, and such. Um, so yeah, I think Melo is going to be. I think Melo's going to want to stay in New York as well, but that obviously depends on the success of the New York Knicks, but I really don't think he's going anywhere. Things would have to go backwards, maybe a regime change, you know, which I don't foresee either. So uh, I think he's writing this out. I think so too. I mean, the way he played last year, it was his best all around season. And extremely impressive, especially during the time we were playing 500 ball. It's kind of something we all knew he could do, you know, average around four or five assists and, get mm-hmm. boards and, and make big shots towards the end. Uh, I read something that one of the Hornacek was one of the best coaches in the sense of playing his starters on average about 33 minutes a game, um, which is great. So he doesn't overplay his players, which is a good sign for Carmelo Anthony. I would always get frustrated watching Melo play 42 minutes a game under Fisher or, and Rabbit. Um So that's a, that's a huge um, – positive, I think, as well for Carmelo, because like you said, he can be a Paul Pierce player. Um, well, it was one of the major components of the Celtics championship run, that Paul Pierce was maybe 34 at that time, and Rondo was coming into his own, and, and he was only, what, 24 years old or something. So if Porzingis could, you know, hit his peak in two years when Carmelo's 34, and Carmelo could be the guy that still gets you 20 points and, you know, hits clutch shots when need be, or even if he gets 18, 17, 18 points, uh, that's the type of player that doesn't hurt you offensively or defensively that can play until he's, you know, over 35 years of age. So, uh, yeah, I think that Carmelo truly wants to be a Nick and he wants to be here. And it's not just for his marketing opportunities, but I think he's one of those old school players that says, I don't necessarily want to run away from the challenge. I want to kind of soak it all in and at the end of the day be a part of uh, of, of of the change. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that right now, so I don't think he's going anywhere. I wish he's the only player I've ever seen in New York say all the right things and get absolute and not get the credit for it. Um, yeah, because you know I go players say that and they, you know, regardless of championship or not, they, you know, they build statues for them here. So no, they, you know, right. well, they I treat them like God. So um, that's another thing about New York. You don't necessarily that's the. People say that you have to win a championship to be. I mean, look at how beloved guys like Starks, Oakley, Mason are. You know, Patrick. Yeah. Patrick's obviously one fifty NBA's all time greatest, but look at the other guys. You know. Um, right. 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 So, if Carmelo gets to one Finals appearance, 
he'll go down as one of the – I mean, he's already going to go down one of the best Knicks of all time. Honestly, he would. But say the Knicks make the playoffs the next three years and they get to the Eastern Conference Finals once, maybe go to the finals before he retires, even if it's on the back of KP, Carmelo will still go down as one of the best. Would you, would oh, you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. I mean, that's not even – I don't think that that's in question. But, yeah, and, and at some point, you know, everybody's – and everybody keeps talking about, you know – they they have they have one mellow with one foot in the grave. That's just not the reality. Um, yeah, and I would say part of that is probably because when his injuries do happen, there's a lot of mystery around them, and we're like, wait, is Mello right? Not right? He's not playing well. After he returns, he still looks like there's something wrong with him. Um, mm-hmm. So you see, but when he's but you mentioned earlier about him changing the style of plays last season. That's something, whether it's Phil Jackson, whether it's Derek Fisher, I give, I give them both credit. When you talk, they say Phil Jackson's done nothing. Phil Jackson did something that nobody, that they said nobody would ever do. I mean, hasn't the mm-hmm. knock on Carmelo Anthony be that he would never rebound. He would never defend. He would never be a team player. Not that I thought that all that was, was the, the book on him or say it was, you know, that was the book on him, but not to say that it was the book on him was true, but it was said that it would, he would never change, especially 13 years into his career. Well, guess what? Right. right. <laughs> guess yeah. what? Career highs in, 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 all, in all those categories. And, you know, right. I had a certain New York, had a certain New York beat writer. Uh, there was one day I was just praising that online, and I said that, you know, Carmelo Anthony had a great season, and a certain New York beat writer thought it was, you know, cool to DM me that. Are, are you kidding me? He's, he, you know, is, <laughs> is, you know, the Knicks record and his field goal percentage is, is down. And I, and I mentioned this, I said, hey, look, you know, everything, all these other categories are up. So when you look around all around right. play, like, yeah, he's like, he was like pointing, he pointed to the MVP season. Absolutely. But it's different. You know what I mean? And right. I laugh about, I laugh when I think of the posting and toasting this year when they coined it Dad Mellow, if you will. Well, you know, yeah, Dad Mellow yeah. was good for the Knicks. Sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, Dad Mellow, he's been able to do what we needed him to do. He needed to be the focal part of the offense. He averaged 29 points a game, third MVP voting, got us our first Atlantic Division crown in 14 years, 15 years maybe. I mean, that alone is one of the major accomplishments that a player before him could do, you know, third and average nearly 30. And then to be dad mellow this year and be a good mentor to KP, I mean, tremendous. That's also, but that's also like having all your eggs in one basket too. And I don't want to have to rely, I don't want to have to rely or ask that of, you know, a, a player every year because it's not sustainable. And that's how you get yourself right. into trouble. Because, and then be honest, it's why the re- it's the reason they got bounced out of the playoffs last that year, to be honest, is Mel, you know, Kevin Garnett pulled his, tore his Mel's labor. Yep. Rotator. <laughs> and, labor. Oh, labor. Right. Yep. And, and they, and they, you know, I you know, the Knicks had, granted the regular season doesn't mean as much as so, but the, the Knicks should have beat that Pacers squad. Yeah. And they didn't. And, you know, they had a favorable season against Miami that year. Not to say it would have yeah. happened, but it, it would have been it would have been at least, you know, an interesting it would have been said, Hey, I wanna see game one and two and see what see what happens for the for the general masses. Nick games are gonna watch them Nick fans are gonna watch them all. So right. you, know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You need to that's you need to you know, um you don't want to have you don't want to rely on one player going nuclear for your success, and that's what Carmelo well, Anthony was doing in March. Right, and if I'm not mistaken, in that series, Miami ended up. I mean, Indiana ended up taking Miami to seven in the next series, and we took them to six. 
And we we basically took him to six with Jason Kidd at, what was he, 0 for 30 or something crazy. Uh, J.R. Smith was like 2 for, I mean, it was like everybody was cold in that series. No one could hit a shot from the outside. And they were wide open shots. I remember a play late in that game six where Carmelo made a beautiful, unselfish pass to J.R. Smith, wide open for a three, and he missed it. And I think maybe we may have been down maybe two or three. And and I was just thought to myself, Carmelo wow. kept on trusting was... the system, making the right passes, and no one could hit this open shot. Do you remember well, that? That was yeah. Well, yeah. And J.R. is having an other infamous playoff run off the court um, as right. well. So that's so that <laughs> so you have that, and then you have. You know, Mike Woodson got uh, you know they got surprised in that first game that uh, Indiana, you know, uh, Indiana stole that first game from them, and Mike Woodson tried to play a way that they hadn't played all year by matching, and I, by, I understand what he was trying to do, but he was trying to match Indiana's size, and he he lost, uh, you know, and he didn't really play guys, you know, there was guys like uh, Marcus Camby who sat on the bench. Like, I was like, wait a second, if you're going to go big, then why is Camby not in there? Like you're getting killed on the boards mm-hmm. every night. Like why are certain players, you know? So um, no, I think Mike Woodson did a great job here in New York, considering everything, you know, that we know about the culture of this place. Um, but at the end of the day, not to say that it wasn't right that, you know, for him to go in the end, but, um, yeah, those those playoffs, he you know, weren't his greatest moment here in New York. Yeah, they definitely weren't. And and who knows if Barnes was forced on him to play the four and to totally change styles the next year. I mean, I was someone that thought that Barniani could have been fine as a backup option, playing fifteen twenty minutes max as a four five. It would have been fine. But to put him in at power forward and to change everything that worked the year before, I I, I can't blame Woodson for that because. That may have been an edict from up above, but well, that's really – I remember in preseason when that happened, I knew we weren't going to be the same team. Here are two plays to me that define that Indiana – that stand out about and define that Indiana series. One mm-hmm. is Roy Hibbert taking – this is funny because they're both sending around Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert taking Tyson Chandler off the dribble at the top of the key and being able to do ah. it consistently. You know, right. that – that was crazy. They're getting dribble penetration from seven foot wow. three, Roy Hibbert. Like, right. <laughs> um, so that, and then obviously the, yeah, I still like hang hand speak about it without seeing Hibbert's hand push back the ball, but, but you well, know, the mellow it. dunk and, and mellow's yeah. dunk. I mean, I mean, man, if that dunk goes down, it's up there with, it's up there with the dunk. Um, yeah. You know, especially, especially, you know, being over a player. Um, yeah. So the, yeah, so those yeah. two, those, those two plays are what stand out uh, stand out to me, and um, it, it was, it, I guess they should say they kind of define why the the why the Knicks lost that series because because so the, from you think about okay you talk about Bargani did they want to pull think then okay well Hibbert was a problem down low for us so we want to pull him away from the basket so we go out and we get an Andrea Bariani you know I don't think Andrea being on thing has ever been explained here in New York I was somebody who really thought it could work and you know when people gave him um because I believed in the talent um but and people well, were giving him like it becomes a point where everybody's just jumping on him and we just be like you know what it's just like not what you're saying it is. So I found myself being a champion for Andre Bignani, and that's something that, you know. <laughs> that, you never that, thought you would that be. Probably, yeah. 
No, I, I no. They probably had me wear a scarlet. They, you know, they probably have me wear a scarlet letter for it uh, today. But you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it happens. I mean, the good news is that I think that this upcoming season, we can end on this note. The Knicks will definitely be again very interesting. Probably implementing some kind of a hybrid system. They're going to have a coach who's a who's a smart, a hell of a smart offensive mind. And he's going to have two great weapons, two unique weapons of Carmelo Anthony and Chris Tapps Porzingis to build his system around. And when Jerry and Grant, yeah, at least. And Jerry and Grant coming into his second year. We have a defensive anchor in Robin Lopez. And we improved from 17 wins to what was it, 32 or 33 this past season? Um, and it, it, yeah, I mean, I'm a happy next year for a 500 club, but I think it's going to start 32. with the defensive. Yeah, no, 32. The defensive, t- uh, the, the defenders that we pick up, weak defenders would be nice, and obviously the coaching staff around Hornacek, and and we'll go from there. But I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more. I think what are we about a, six weeks away from the beginning of free agency, and so maybe let's uh, Chris, let's get back together in a week or so after the press conference and and maybe uh, and, and we'll chat about the Knicks a little bit more in, in a couple of weeks. Sound good? Sounds good, Sean. Sounds good, man. Thank you. All right, Chris. Uh, of course, man. Uh, you can follow Chris Delgado at Del Blago, D-E-L-B-L-O-G-O, if, uh, on Twitter. You can follow me at Espacino34 at Twitter. Um, thank you very much for listening. Again, this is the first ever NYK Exchange podcast presented by NYKinformation.com. Thanks for listening. This is going to be downloadable on iTunes um, probably by Monday. So uh, you guys can go to iTunes and subscribe there. Thanks for listening. Until next time, everybody, have a great night. Peace. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.